So there is this story in the Bible that you have probably heard. It's called usually called David and Goliath. So David is this small figure who's sent out to this giant, um, very large man, this Goliath. And to uh, to do this, to, to fight this man, he picks up five stones, smooth stones, they say, that he used to hurl at the giant using his sling, and he ultimately defeats him. Well, here in the early 21st century in Colorado, there was a conversation that began trying to articulate what are some practices, some tools, some things like those stones that we could use as Unitarian Universalists, people of progressive and liberal faith to slay the giants, that is the monsters of our time that, that you might call the forces of disconnection and fragmentation, forces of racism, xenophobia, forces that would divide us from seeing ourselves as being a part of this ecosystem's forces that would divide us from our neighbor. What are the tools, the covenantal practices and behaviors that we as Unitarian Universalists can bring to these challenges, these Goliaths of our day. This morning, we are so glad to share a conversation that Sean had with my dear friend and mentor, the Reverend Nancy Bowen, who is one of the people who started and championed this conversation of what about what we've come to call the five jagged rocks. You know, like the smooth stone, except for set here in the Rocky Mountains where things are more jagged, where we know that sometimes things may be difficult for us to scale and yet still be worthy of our work. The five jagged rocks are those tools and practices, those orientations of faith that we can bring to any Goliath that we might face today. So Nancy is gonna talk a little bit about the origin of the jagged rocks, how they fit into our Unitarian Universalist frameworks. You'll also see, I'm gonna take a moment during their conversation to outline all five of those jagged rocks in case this is totally new to you this morning. As you listen, I invite you to consider how these ideas, these rocks can be tools in your life and in our collective lives how they can be for us a daily source of good news, no matter what problems or challenges or Goliaths we may face. All right, I am here with Reverend Nancy Bone, who is retired, but still a force of nature in this world, taking up the vocation of grandparenting. Hi, Nancy. Hi, good to be with you. Do you wanna introduce yourself for those people who may not know you? I um, became acquainted with Foothills and your uh, current wonderful ministerial staff when I was the district executive of the Mountain Desert District and later the regional lead for the West and had the privilege of working with your congregation on several occasions and participating in some of the formative ceremonies that uh, installed Gretchen and Sean as ministers to your congregation. So it's lovely to be back with you. So we wanted to bring Nancy into this conversation because she was really pivotal in the in the construction, the formulation, the catalyzation of what we come to know as the five jagged rocks of Unitarian Universalism. Hey everyone, I wanted to just 
jump into the middle of this interview between Nancy and Sean, this good conversation. I felt like for many of us, this might be the very first time that you're hearing about this idea. And so I wanted to do just a quick review. The five jagged rocks are, as Nancy's going to explain, always evolving in their wording and kind of keep them as living ideas, but they all continue to come back to some very foundational concepts that uh, many of us turn to as for guidance. So here you go. The first one, truth continues to be revealed or revelation is not sealed. This idea comes from a, a way of distinguishing Unitarian Universalist sources of truth and authority in, in an ultimate sense from those who might turn to uh, scripture or other uh, documents that have been, they were written long, long ago and are closed and all that you could find in terms of truth should be found in those single documents. That is not how Unitarian Universalists approach the sense of truth. We understand truth as continuing to evolve and that there's many sources and that you can, you can find scripture in so many places, poetry, science, the natural world, all the different sources of Unitarian Universalism and as a sense of, of truth that evolves in your own life, which that's, Nancy's going to talk a little bit more about that. Then that brings us to number two, all are sacred and worthy of love, or we might say all are worthy of love and belonging. It of course comes back to our first principle of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. This is a core affirmation of Unitarian Universalism and yet one that many of us often wrestle with in our lives. It is also a core theological claim of our history, this affirmation of the goodness of human beings and the ways that all, all, all are worthy. That brings us to number three, which is there is a unity that makes life one, or later we started to say life's diversity is held in a mysterious unity, wanting to affirm both of those realities, not to diminish diversity by holding its unity. This, uh, this idea, you can, you can feel it in our in the name Unitarian Universalism, a sense of all life being held as one, and also in our seventh principle, the interdependent web of all existence, a sense that somehow we are all in this together. We are, as Neil deGrasse Tyson would say, all made of stars. We are stardust. We are all made of the same stuff all as in all of life and all across time we are all connected there is a unity that makes all life one that brings us to the fourth jagged rock and that is either there is salvation in this life or instead you might say wholeness is possible in this life or salvation in this lifetime. Either way, there's two claims being made by this jagged rock. One is that salvation, or you might say salve, that's a healing, deep healing, is focused on this life, not some other life. That 
we are focused on this world and the ways we can heal this world. It is also a claim of saying it, this healing, this wholeness, this salvation is possible that we can accomplish a degree of healing that we can glimpse a sense of being saved. And in fact, we are saved again and again and again across the whole of our lives. That brings us to the fifth jagged rock, which is courageous love can transform the world or courageous love transforms the world or kind of evolution is that the purpose of our lives is beloved community, which is made possible through acts of courageous love. We've been talking in the past few weeks about this idea of courageous love and beloved community. And so you can see the ways that this, this jagged rocks pulls those together and said, this, this is the purpose of our lives to create together that world where all are free. And you can see how it, all of the other jagged rocks kind of follow into this. They come together into this idea of put them all together. And this is our purpose to create together beloved community through a commitment of unleashing courageous love. Okay, back to the interview. So the, the first question that I had for you, Nancy, is like, how did this begin? I mean, many of us know of the principles and the sources of Unitarian Universalism. The Jagged Rocks are not as well known, but at Foothills, they're really, really important for us. And really, that's what we talk about a lot in terms of how we think about our UU faith. Like, what's the story of how they began? Well, the, the story, I think, is entertaining and perhaps uh, formative also of the Five Jagged Rocks, but we were at a residential leadership school, and we had just finished a conversation about the principles and the sources, purposes, principles, and sources, which, as some of you may know now and all of you will know in a moment, are part of the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And someone in the leadership school said, we had made the distinction that those are covenantal agreements between and among all of our congregations. As you join the association as a congregation, you affirm those principles and acknowledge those sources. And so someone said, I'm paraphrasing, so there's nothing that tells us what individual Unitarian Universalists believe. We can just believe anything. And I do have a bit of a history of perhaps overreacting to certain things about Unitarian Universalist theology, and that would be one, that we can believe anything will get me to... Anything, Nancy. I want to believe anything I want. I believe chocolate has no calories. It hasn't proven to be true. But I believe it strongly. I believe it so much um, as a Unitarian Universalist. So I, I did stand at, at that moment and say... That while the purposes and principles are for our congregations, there are things believed and affirmed among us and that we can see touch tones of those in the purposes and principles, but they might begin like this. And I, and I offered these five articulations, which have evolved over time, of course, and become much more literate as my colleagues have helped refine them and you look at our history and at the things we have struggled with and how we have changed and evolved because we are a fluid and flexible theology desiring so much to be relevant in the world as it is today 
that if you take all of that permission that we have to be relevant in the world today, these would be five things that we would most all affirm that would be personal and would guide our behavior day to day. And that's, I think, guidance was what people were looking for, some touchstones that they might check their thinking, their emotions, their behavior against. And it became quite lively at that leadership school. So we realized we maybe had something here that we shouldn't just consider was a passing conversation and maybe should, you know, put out to colleagues and and, um, members of the leadership school and allow the conversation to continue. And that piece is one of the things I love about the story of the Jagged Rocks is that it was a conversation. It wasn't something that you just thought of, you know, in your, you know, magnificent theological mind. It was something that, you know, initiated with you, but then was brought into community. Right. And that's, I think that's the question that I, you know, sometimes newcomers ask is, oh, why can't, why can't I do this thing on my own? Right. And it's like, well, you can do part of that. Right. You know, we say each of us has a piece of the truth, but, but something happens when we bring our piece of truth into relationship with other people's truths. Like we're forced to figure out what is it, what does it mean to see these two truths together? And that helps, you know, um, strengthen our thinking. It helps us look at things from different perspectives, especially with our kind of blind spots um, that come from, you know, our backgrounds and our different various life experiences. And so I love how it was a conversation and an evolution over time. And the other thing I like about it that I want to lift up is that it wasn't a conversation just amongst ministers, right? It was a conversation primarily among lay folks. And that really shows, I mean, the heart of our tradition, which is, which is to say that truth, you know, continues to be revealed and not just through clergy. And it's interesting that as I recall the conversation, which is not crystal clear to me anymore, this was probably 10 or 11 years ago that these conversations first began. And um, that truth continues to be revealed wasn't articulated nearly as well but at the time, but that's the one that people took up. First, it was just, it was science, that we would learn more uh, factual truth. You know, right now we would say, okay, and in the last year we've learned so much about this coronavirus and public health is now, we know a lot more. But truth continues to be revealed um, in that first conversation took on quite a lot more depth. You know, now I understand my own family history differently. I understand as an adult things that I used to understand as a child. That's a truth that can shape my personality and my behavior in the world that I did not have, you know, 30 years ago. Those revelations can be ours individually, but when we talk about like our work with regard to white supremacy and Black Lives Matter and anti-racism work, there are so many things I need to learn that I simply did not have access to. And I was a well-educated person in my time. And those, those events and those prejudices built into us were not revealed to me until quite recently. So it's a very broad and deep notion, this one on truth continues to be revealed, that is both personal and communal, because it has been in community that I have learned the things I did not know. And I think the other distinction 
you talked to the beginning about us perceiving, you know, our evolving faith as being evolving in relationship to science is that it's not, it's not like knowledge continues to be revealed. Like it's more than that. It's making a claim because, you know, other faiths that, that have a different understanding of, you know, revelation, which is kind of these ultimate type truths, you know, they, they will acknowledge that we learn more things about the world. The move that's being made in that rock is a little distinct that it's saying it's actually these like fundamental truths um, that are revealed um, and will continue to be. And as you're saying, that's both an individual about ourselves, about the world, our community, about ourselves. The truths that may be revealed now may be truths that didn't exist in the past. It's not like we're just archaeologists uncovering the truth that was there all the time. It's truth is also co continuously evolving itself, just as we are in community. And that this notion, as you've said quite well, but I'll just reiterate, because this happened in that conversation, that very first conversation, that we're not talking factual information, as you just said. We're talking truth at some fundamental level, I think was the word you used. You know, we've talked previously about the difference between uh, creeds and covenants. You know, creeds are these, you know, statements of belief that are that are supposed to be held in common and that they 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 act as a, a litmus test or sometimes a barrier um, to participation in a community. And, you know, we are not that faith. We haven't been, um, at least in most of our tradition for a long time. And yet, because of our covenantal commitments, you know, it's again, it's not you can do anything you want in our communities. We have these expectations of how we are to be together. And I wonder, like I I see the the jagged rocks as kind of a, a maturing of that practice of of being in covenantal relationship. Like, what does it truly mean? Like, how do we articulate that walk that we want to be with each other? But I also interpret it as statements of faith too, that they aren't um, they aren't statements that I you know, in our congregation, when we talk about them, say, I'm going to, I'm going to prove these to you to be our, our covenantal practices. What I usually say is when I live my life with these touchstones in mind, and when I ask myself these questions, when I live as if these things are true, I, I live more, a, a more aligned and integrity. Uh, integral life. I feel like I have more integrity and I feel like in my relationships there is more collective integrity um, that is created um, and that it isn't really about whether or not necessarily someone can prove their truth but it is in, in the practicing of them that I found a, a validity um, to how I live which is, I think, the test of a covenantal tradition. Thank you for that lovely articulation of how the Five Jagged Rocks have worked for you. And I think that that's true inside the covenantal community, say, of Foothills, where, where your group is gathered right now. But one of the things that I, and, and not I alone, but I, in terms of guiding some of the early conversation around the Five Jagged Rocks, Part of my theological bias is that we are living in covenant with the world community. We are living in covenant with this unity in life that binds us all together or, or your particular articulation. And I like that we have multiple articulations. I would never try to 
make them um, all come together and be articulated in a unilateral way. But I'm trying to live in covenant with life, with all the world. And so these touchstones work both in my intimate covenantal relationships in my own congregation here in Albuquerque, as I interact with foothills, but as I try to be a person of faith in the world, these same touchstones mean that, that you know, all souls are sacred and worthy, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of previous activity. That is their behavior. That is not their inherent worth. Sometimes those have been challenging for me in recent years. Um, and so I come back to this so that I don't find myself in a, a position of considering some people worthy and others not. Um, I feel like, you know, we have some work to do there. Um, the, the covenantal nature of how will I help myself define my behavior in relationship to other people meant that it it doesn't it also doesn't require an exactly parallel mutuality i will be trying to live through these even if the person i'm trying to be in relationship has a completely different theology that's fine they still have inherent worth and dignity we are still one in this uh, in this one world that, you know, so I, it has been my hope, it has been my ex personal experience, but also certainly my hope that these statements, fluid and able to be, uh, you know, individually understood and interpreted, help us far beyond our covenantal relationships within a congregation. Well, and it gets us to that, that the direction of a, of a covenant is always directed outwards that it's not just about those people who are who are in it who you know say the, say the words um but it is you know this is james luther adams right it's always directed outwards um and you know i see that in terms of you know my the covenant that i made with my husband in our marriage right it is but it is something that is ours and it is also how we live into the world um, and it, it directs us not just to live with ourselves, but through our relationship, live for, um, live for something larger or direct our efforts in a certain way. And it's the, you know, the same thing with these, these jagged rocks is the, the point isn't to <laughs> make foothills some enclave of like these theological, uh, practices. It's to be in dialogue and a relationship and orient that outwards both as individuals, but also as our, as our church and how our church as, as a collective is oriented towards others. And I see that in the work that we're doing right now on, on vaccine equity around COVID, you know, that we are, you know, at the table with our community partners saying, Hey, who's, who's being left out? Who are the people that are not on these lists? Who, why aren't we investing in doing the work that we know we need to do to get these people invested uh, or vaccinated. And, you know, that comes down to this idea of, you know, all souls are worthy and sacred. And especially, you know, COVID is this beautiful, beautiful analogy for, for our interconnection, right? And, you know, that unity of how we literally 
give each other health or take it away by our very conduct, you know, shows that unity. And by us saying, hey, there are these people um, that we, we know are being left behind, we want to stand with them and, you know, get them vaccinated. It's part of that work of honoring that sacredness, but also honoring that unity of, of all. I'm delighted to get a chance to talk with you about these uh, statements again. I would say that 10 years out, they live in my life. And I hope that people find them worthy and make them uh, relevant to their own theological history, religious history, current perspective. If they need to be tweaked, tweak them. They are not a creed. They are not things that we so much say together and say this has to be true as we live them together, trying to understand more deeply what they mean in the, in the world.